Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello again, my friend. Welcome into the Stream Police Podcast on this holiday season. I wonder if it's snowing where you are. Is it a white Christmas? Is it a white Hanukkah? What is it? Uh, wherever you happen to be listening to this show. Of course, with the magic of podcasting, kind of the whole point is you can listen to it whenever you want. So for all I know, it could be May right now. When you're finally getting around to old episode number 97 of the Stream Police Podcast. Here we are, December 2021, another year that felt pretty much exactly the same as last year, coming to an end. Um, (laughs) I mean, this was the year where it it felt like we were going to turn the page and move on, but now as this year ends, it kind of feels like this is just just how it is, man. So I don't know. I I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope I get to go to a movie theater again soon. I did get to actually go to a a theater to see a couple of different live productions, live performances this year, which was more than I did in 2020. So, man, here's to it. And I'm going to go see Car- Courtney Barnett in a couple of weeks as well, which I'll let you know how that goes on uh, the next episode of the show. So, anyway, welcome into the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV here on the show every single month from my closet just outside of Columbus, Ohio. And in just a little bit, we'll be tossing it up. To my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, who talks music here on the show, and he does it from his enclave, his palatial estate up there by Lake Erie in beautiful Cleveland. I guess it's Euclid, technically, but it's it's greater Cleveland. His heart is in Cleveland, certainly. I think even when he was living in Dayton, his heart was in Cleveland. But anyway, we'll be hearing from Andy in just a little bit. Uh, I urge you, as always, to go over uh, on YouTube. Check out Overdue Review there. And you can also uh, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis, M-R Clint Davis. And Andy is on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. His last name is spelled S-E-D-L-A-K. And make sure you like our playlist on Spotify. Uh, Andy's going to be adding five of his favorite songs from 2021 to our never-ending Spotify playlist, which has just been, you know, keeps, it's a snowball, a great snowball of music, keeps rolling, he keeps adding new stuff to it every single month when we come in here, and uh, I like that, yeah, this month he's he's going, he's sticking with songs from this year, uh, and he's got a, a nice mixed bag of stuff in there, a couple that I hadn't heard yet, so uh, that's, that's going to be good, we'll get to those though in just a little bit. Andy's also going to be digging into Adele's new 
30 record um, and doing kind of a, a deep dive review on that record as well. And I know he's been an Adele fan in the in the past. She's one of those artists that I have never, like, she never hooked me for whatever reason. And I think it's just her style. I mean, I don't have anything against her. Obviously, she's just a hell of a singer. I mean, I've never, ever thought that she wasn't a great vocalist and great at, you know, one of those great interpreters of song, even though she's a songwriter. I mean, she's not one of those Sinatra people who just interprets others' words. I mean, she's pouring herself into these songs. Uh, but she really makes you believe what she's singing. But I think it's just that power ballad thing. Like, I can't imagine going to an Adele concert and just being pelted with power ballad after power ballad for that long. Although I will say, I I caught her CBS special that she did with Oprah. It was like a hybrid concert um, where she was standing out front of the, the Griffith Auto, um, Observatory observatory uh, in Los Angeles, which every time I see that building, I think of uh, Rebel Without a Cause. But anyway, um, she is doing a concert out there, outdoors, of course, and she's talking with Oprah, like kind of interspersed between the concerts. So it was a, it was a, a cool TV special, and I caught it on the re-air, and, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, I've told you before on this show, I've told you just months ago how much I enjoyed listening to Oprah interview anyone famous. She is the ultimate celebrity interviewer, I think, much better than anybody that I can even think of. I mean, Charlie Rose always kind of had that reputation, but I'll take Oprah any day of the week uh, over Charlie Rose, and not just because we found out that he likes to walk around and show young women his dick when he's wearing his robe around his house, but, uh, because I just think she's flat out better at it. Um, and she is just a razor sharp interviewer. So, and what she was talking about with Adele was, was interesting. Got It let me get to know her a little bit more and see how much personality she's got. And I think she's got a ton of it and how British she is. I think she is just like, just through and through, man. I just think she's just, uh, um, doesn't try to hide it at all. And uh, is very proud of where she's from, which is you know, something that we all always really like a lot. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of mystery with Adele. I think she likes to wear it out there. But anyway, I was very impressed with her presence on stage, which was something I had never seen because I had never seen her perform live in any way before, except for maybe like the Grammys, one song. But to see her kind of interact with the audience, do the songs, interact with the band, she just sounded, looked phenomenal, even though she was really like alone on the stage, it felt like. Uh, and right in the spotlight, and every eye on her, but it seemed like she was so comfortable, so natural. So I was very impressed. So I don't know, maybe I'll be at an Adele concert one of these days. Uh, but if you catch Adele one night only, streaming somewhere, I think it's probably on Paramount+. Plus. Um, my Paramount Plus subscription has lapsed, so I no longer have it. But I think it's probably there. Uh, you, you, I urge you to check it out, even if maybe you're just so-so on her as I was. I was impressed. There's a fire starting in my heart, reaching a fever pitch, and it's bringing me out the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go ahead and sell me out, and I'll leave your bed. See how I'll leave with every piece of you. Don't underestimate the things that I will. Um, let me go ahead and light my uh, my stogie up here. I like to sit in my closet. I, I light up a cigar, especially in the winter months. I really think it, it adds to the ambience in here. Maybe not for you, but it does for me. So let me get that going. 
a nice Romeo and Juliet uh, this month. I'm still not getting those for free, by the way, but I, I just I just thought I would tell you. So in case you know cigars, you can tell what I'm smelling in here. Anyway, uh, before I get into the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week, and I think it's going to be one that you're going to really dig, okay? I think it's going to be one that's going to have you moving in your car a little bit. Before I get to that, though, I want to tell you about my favorite alternative Christmas movie real quick because it, this is one of those things I get asked about, like, you know, Christmas. everyone's got favorite Christmas movies, and I've told you before that The Muppet Christmas Carol is my personal favorite. I love Christmas Vacation as much as anybody, too. I mean, I can quote it like crazy. I love Home Alone and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Both of those are fantastic, um, even though they're basically the same movie, but still. I like them both. If it works once, why not do it again? You know what I mean? Um, but my favorite alternative Christmas movie, a lot of people like to go with Die Hard. You know, it's kind of played out at this point to me. Um, I really like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a lot. That's a good alternative Christmas movie. But my favorite one, without question, alternative Christmas movie, which is like a movie set at Christmas, but it's not about Christmas, is Eyes Wide Shut, 1999, Stanley Kubrick's last movie, phenomenal film all the way through i think it's flawless honestly i don't have a single not a single issue with that movie it wouldn't change a thing about it uh, i think it's tom cruise and nicole kidman so raw i mean their marriage is on the rocks at this point and this movie basically if you believe reports is kind of what tipped it over the edge and ended their their marriage really and you're kind of watching it all unfold here in this film. But the movie really is a Christmas movie, I think. I mean, it's it's all about saving a marriage. It's all about saving a family because they got these two, you know, cute little kids. And, you know, it's all about... Or they only have one kid. I think they only have one kid now that I think about it. And it's... But it's a cute little family. Whatever. You know, kind of idyllic family. But they're going through a, a rough patch. And so they're trying to save it. You got the snowy streets of New York... In every other shot, every outdoor shot, you know, it's kind of blanketed in snow. You got FAO Schwartz, right? You know, they're walking around at the end looking at toys. You got the storyline with the hooker with the heart of gold. You know what I mean? That's the kind of Christmas, you know, it's a little bit alternative, like I said, but it's a, it's kind of a Christmas thing, the hooker with the heart of gold kind of story. You got the orgy scene, of course. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, you got jazz music, some classical music, but... Seriously, this movie is Christmas, Kubrick style. If you watch Eyes Wide Shut as a Christmas movie, I think you'll see that it really is one. Um, it is it is a Christmas movie. It's my favorite alternative Christmas movie of them all. 1999's Eyes Wide Shut. Maybe I think we should be grateful. Grateful that we've managed to survive through all of our adventures whether they were real or only a dream i've said it before too i think it, it might be kubrick's best movie i think paths of glory is way up there uh probably right behind it i would say but uh man i i think eyes wide shut is is a magnum opus all right, let's dig into the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Our 70th entry into the canon. If this is your first time joining us on the Stream Police Podcast, thank you. Welcome in. Welcome to the fold. Uh, but also, we like to start every show by picking out 
what our pick is this month for the greatest TV show theme song ever. And we've done 69 of them. Nice. And we're going to do our 70th now. And I don't usually like to do back-to-back honorees from the same network. I don't know that I've ever done that in the history of doing this segment, but I'm going to do another ABC show this month after we did Taxi in the last episode. Because, look, I just could not resist pulling this one off my list of nominees because the star of this show is such a major part of the pop culture news cycle and conversation right now. He Arguably, he's the biggest part of the pop culture conversation at the moment that I'm recording this. I'm talking about none other than that friendly, web-slinging New York teenager, Spider-Man, and his first animated adventures, which debuted on September 9th, 1967 on ABC and kicked off with this instant classic theme song. You know it, and you love it. You might not have even known what it was from, but I guarantee you, you know at least the first two lines of that song. It is crazy to me to think, but Spider-Man, the character, had only debuted in Marvel Comics five years before this show came out. He debuted in 62, show kicks off in 67. So Spider-Man's basically a brand new figure in the mainstream at this point, but the series really helped him become one of the most iconic of all of Marvel's creations, if not the most iconic of all of Marvel's creations. The series itself was created by none other than the legendary Stan Lee, of course, the Marvel impresario himself, and it featured Peter Parker battling classic villains like the Green Goblin, Vulture, Rhino, Dr. Octopus on a weekly basis, as well as you know carrying out his usual duties as a teenager and working at the Daily Bugle as a photographer as well. Uh, The show aired on Saturday mornings to the delight of kids across the U.S. and Canada, where it actually was produced. It was produced in Toronto. Here's a fun fact for you also about 1967 Spider-Man. The guy who voiced Peter Parker in this series was the same guy who voiced Hermie the Elf, my boy, in 1964's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But I digress. Can you swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. Forget about the show, okay? The Immaculate theme song is the star here, and this song that was used for the animated series is pure 1960s camp, pure fun, pure tongue-in-cheek attitude. And I was stunned when I found out who was behind this track, okay? It was co-written by a guy named Bob Harris, who really isn't known for very much beyond this tune. So forget about Bob Harris for a minute. But it was also co-written by the legendary Paul Francis Webster. And maybe that's not a name that's jumping off the speaker for you. But if you look up Paul Webster, this guy was basically a god of popular songwriting in the 50s and 60s. I mean, you think of like a Burt Bacharach kind of guy. Um, that's what Paul Francis Webster was. And he was particularly that particularly that way for film uh for original songs being used in films 
Songs that were written by this guy were nominated for 16 Oscars for Best Original Song, okay? 16 Oscars in that one category from 1944 to 1976. So more than 30 years, this guy's a regular. He's being nominated like every other year on average uh, for an Oscar for Best Original Song. And he won three of them as well as a Grammy for Song of the Year. So, I mean, quite a trophy case. You got a three-time Oscar winner who's behind the line, is he strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. This song opened Spider-Man every week during its three-season run, which came to an end in 1970, after what was really a pretty disastrous move from ABC to syndication that saw the production company go cheap, and stop using villains from the comics and start using generic villains that were easy to animate uh, using leftover animation from other shows. So that was really the death knell of the Spider-Man series. It really had one very strong season, and then the last two seasons were just kind of spinning the tires until it uh, ran out of gas, basically. The track uh, has been heard, I should say, countless times uh, since the show went off the air in Spider-Man titles since then, usually as a bit of fan service. And it's been covered, it's been parodied a million times over. Um, I think of The Simpsons with Spider-Pig, obviously one of the best. And you think about the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man when you got the guy uh, down in the subway playing the song on his guitar. I mean, just little nods like that. This song is, is beloved. And all those nods, I think, point to the fact that 1967 Spider-Man is a great pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time. This week. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. I tell you though, of all the covers that have been done of the Spider-Man theme song, my absolute favorite came from the Ramones, who just shredded it in 1995. I feel like it's been a long time since uh, Amazon Prime Video has had an, an original series that has really kind of gotten me hooked and gotten a ton of buzz and uh, has made me really inspired to come out and talk about it on this show. I mean, in the past, I've talked about shows like Man in the High Castle. Um, I talked a lot about Transparent back in the day, really dug that show for a while. Talked about Goliath, which is also a really cool show that I really liked, particularly uh, during its first season. But um, in the last month, I've gotten really into Amazon's Big budget uh, adaptation of The Wheel of Time, which is uh, based on a series of, uh, you know, fantasy novels that have been really popular over the years. And this kind of comes out on the heels of Dune being, you know, an adaptation of an iconic fantasy novel. And of course, you know, every time anyone does a series like this, especially where people are riding horses and, um, you know, there are fantasy elements, but also... Uh, you know, there's some kind of mystical, magical elements thrown in there as well. Uh, and you've got the kind of medieval setting. Uh, people are going to think, of course, of Game of Thrones and the bad taste that that show left in all of our mouths. So, but Wheel of Time, 
uh, debuted in November, and I, I am almost now, the first season is almost up. It's an eight-episode first season, hour-long episodes, um, and they're doing it weekly, so they're not dropping the whole season at once. Instead, they're doing you know the old-fashioned way of an episode a week, and I think it's working out well because this has really let the show build up a lot of buzz, and I think the buzz was soft in the first couple episodes when when they came out because I think that that the noise was kind of the positive noise was kind of drowned out by people who may have been book purists or genre purists who were disappointed in things that were changed. I don't know. I I didn't read the book, any of the books. So I don't know anything about the Wheel of Time books. Much how I didn't know anything about the Dune book when I was reviewing the movie last month. But anyway, um I got to say, I got hooked by this show, especially once about the third episode rolled around. I think it's got a strong premise. Unlike a lot of these shows, it doesn't feel like it's just wandering around. I feel like it's got even maybe a better premise right out of the gate than Game of Thrones did, even though it doesn't have some of the other things that Game of Thrones have. And I hate to just compare everything to Game of Thrones, but it's really hard not to because that's obviously what everyone's trying to to uh, you know create here. But the bottom line is I don't think that fantasy shows really need to be the big mainstream hits. They don't need to pay all of your bills even though I think that's what Amazon probably wants with the Wheel of Time. HBO just kind of caught lightning in a bottle, I think, with Game of Thrones. They had the one of the best casts of British legendary British character actors thrown together for that show. They did not have a true lead carrying that show, except it felt like they were going to at first. Um, and Wheel of Time is a little bit different in the way it handles itself. Cast is a little smaller. The world feels smaller. Um, I still don't have a total grasp of like the way the power structure works in this world versus in Game of Thrones. I feel like it was very well laid out. The world was very well created uh, right from the gate. I feel like at the, by the end of the first season you knew exactly how this world worked different cultures uh ge geographically you know where they were even though i could never get a sense of how far apart things were from each other um in the wheel of time that kind of stuff is maybe a little bit more ambiguous uh which is where i'll take some points off from it but i do think this show has a good hook for its plot uh interesting characters a good mystery at its center which Game of Thrones didn't necessarily always have. And it's got, honestly, one of the best actors in the world who is working at this point in Rosamund Pike, who leads the cast and is also a producer of the show. And this is a big project for her. She's, you know, really involved behind the scenes, but also is arguably carrying it because she's the biggest actor by far who appears in the cast. The rest of these actors, you might recognize some of them, and again, I think you get that character actor thing. But a lot of them I didn't know, especially the younger actors who are involved in this thing. But let me tell you what The Wheel of Time is about, because that title doesn't really give you very much, uh, doesn't really explain very much. And what the, the Wheel of Time basically refers to is the way life just kind of um, is, like people are being reincarnated essentially, uh, after they die, and they're living different lives um, at the ends of uh, of generations when the Wheel of Time kind of resets everything uh, again from scratch. So everyone kind of believes in this, and this is like their god, basically, the wheel, the light, the darkness. It, these are the, the forces of good and evil in the world. And 
you have certain characters in the world of the Wheel of Time who are able to tap into this power of the light and they're able to like bend the natural world to their will, whether it's like controlling wind, um, giving themselves, you know, the ability to do feats of strength that they would not be able to have it's the ability to heal people using the light, uh, use it as a weapon if they want to, but it's, it's pretty much exclusively women. Like women really run the world in the wheel of time, which immediately kind of makes it different than what you were seeing in game of Thrones and what you see in a lot of this kind of genre fiction. So that is a little bit, I think that's one of the things that makes this story worth telling at this point. And again, I don't know how much of that was from the books, but at the center of it all, of this world, you have this group of women who are able to channel, is what they call it, who are able to use these powers. Um, and they try to use them for good, but they are kind of this mythical force in the world. Everyone, you know, people fear them, people respect them and look up to them, but they're they're known as the Aes Sedai. That's their, their, the name of this group of women. And um, they all operate out of this massive tower, which uh, is kind of like a, big phallic symbol which the uh, irony of that was not lost on me when i did see the tower be unveiled um but rosamund pike plays one of these women and she's not like the most powerful one she's not you know the most exceptional one but she is kind of a mysterious one and when you first meet her you don't know what's going on with her what her deal is why are people afraid of her and why is she acting so secretive um but what she's doing and the, this is the whole plot of the show. She there's a prophecy that's been, you know, told for thousands of years, basically, that a a powerful, ultra powerful person called the Dragon reincarnated, uh, the Dragon reborn is what they keep calling them, uh, is going to come to life. Is has already been born and is going to come of age. In, a, in these years. And so she basically knows like when this person was born and when we catch up with her, she's already been out in the world for a couple years trying to find who she thinks this dragon reborn is going to be because they need to get them on their side or else this person's going to turn evil and cause, you know, literally all hell to break loose on uh, earth. So it's like of vital importance. And so anyway, she, she comes to this village where she has all of her information has led her to five people that she has narrowed it down to that she thinks will be one of them's got to be the dragon. And so the, the, basically the whole first season of the show is like, who is it going to be? And you see them all kind of use powers in different ways and, and different ways that they're exceptional. And, uh, but only one of them can be the dragon reborn and, uh, Rosamund Pike's character is trying to figure it out. Others are trying to figure it out for different reasons. Some want to kill the dragon. Others want to get them on their side. So some, some intrigue going on. Um, and in this world, there's a lot of, uh, there, there, the relationships are complex because you never know who's trying to kill them and who's trying to be their friends. So it's a, and, and, and what's cool is the five people, they're like young people who are, who she's basically leading across the country to try to figure out which one of these is going to, you know, be the dragon, um, they've got a great bond with each other and they're friends going back to their childhoods. Uh, and so you get to see them interact with each other a lot and, and try to figure out whether they can trust this really mysterious woman or not. Um, and, but there's a lot of world building stuff that's cool. 
and then I hadn't seen before in uh, fantasy that I thought was interesting. And I kept finding myself getting engaged with the characters, but really with Rosamund Pike and with Daniel Henney, who plays like all of these women who are these powerful Aes Sedai women, each one of them, well, almost each one of them, not all of them, because the women wear all different colors and whatever color they wear signifies like what role they have in the community. So it's that's all complicated. Uh, but anyway... Most of the women who are the Aes Sedai are linked with one man, or it could be two men, who are their protectors. And they, like, guard them when they're out in the world doing things. And, you know, when they're using their powers, like, they make sure nothing bad is going to get to them and no one's going to interrupt them. But they have, like, this very deep bond and can feel each other's pain, can feel, you know, what each other are going through, thinking about. It's like a deeper, it's described as a deeper than marriage bond when they travel together and Daniel Henney plays the guy who is linked to Rosamund Pike's character. And they are really fun to watch together. Very good. Um, I mean, the whole series honestly could be them. And I think it would be interesting just to see them traveling around. And that's really what you get a lot of in the first season. Um, special effects are big in this show. CGI stuff. When I will say that whenever they are using the one power, it looks a little bit weird, and I'm guessing that this comes from the books. It's kind of like wind wrapping around their arms, and like they're channeling the forces of the earth. And and what you end up getting is you just imagine Rosamund Pike, this very serious, just such a great actor, being very serious, like doing like kind of yoga-ish moves with her arms in front of a green screen, and then them animating all these things uh, happening around her arms and you just think man that had to be really silly to do but she does it with very you know with gusto i will say and the special effects are great at, at times like i think the creature effects are really good i think some of the monsters that they fight because they fight different kinds of creatures uh throughout and uh, they also befriend different kinds of creatures throughout and i think the creature effects are really well done some of them are done practically with makeup effects um, and some of them are done uh, with uh, total CGI. And I was fine with the creature effects, honestly. Um, but it's the, it's the one power stuff that is weird looking to me at times. And you'll, you, you know, your mileage may vary. It doesn't really take me out of the show very much because, I mean, it's, it's, it's about more than that. I mean, we've all watched stuff that at this point this, the effects look silly, but it's still great storytelling. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to end up being like a, a phenomenal show all the way through. I don't know if it's going to stick landings, if it's going to die off after this first season, after the mystery of who's the Dragon Reborn comes out. But I mean, I know this is a big series of books with a lot of fans. The story's already been told, so they've got that. They don't have the, the Game of Thrones thing where it's like they're still being written, and so the TV writers are going to have to come up with the big things that are going to happen. So... I just would say that if they continue with the style of filmmaking that they've done here, because I think the show looks really good. I buy it. Um, the younger actors, a little bit hit and miss for me. I like some of them more than others. Uh, I really like this uh, woman named Madeline Madden, who uh, plays um, Egwene, and she's kind of like she's really like the main the other main character aside from Rosamund Pike you'll know who she is exactly uh when you when you see her also Zoe Robbins she does a very nice job in this show as well I didn't know either of them uh 
but uh, I was impressed and have been impressed so far with what I've seen from them. The men are are another thing. Um, haven't been blown away by the young men in the cast, but out of the group of five. But I really liked all the women, and the women have the meatiest parts uh, of this story for sure. Kate Fleetwood comes in and plays really kind of a villainous um, colleague, I guess you could say, sister of Rosamund Pike's character. It's not really one of those shows where you're sitting around like getting distracted by all the actors who keep popping in because I, I didn't know a lot of them. And obviously I'm a big nerd for this kind of stuff. Um, and, but, but I was just, I, I've enjoyed it. And like I said, it took me until probably about the third episode for me to really get hooked and be like, man, I want to watch the next one immediately. The first two were a little like, it was, it was like, oh man, this is, there's a lot to take in here. You know, I had kind of that overwhelmed feeling that you get when you start a new series and you're entering a big world that's not our own world. You know how that can be. Um, so you might get that when you first start this show, but I think it does narrow. And unlike Game of Thrones, again, which really had like, you didn't know where Game of Thrones was going to go. The Wheel of Time is kind of leading you in one direction. And it's like this ultimate good versus evil battle that we've seen a million times, but there's a mystery at the heart of it as far as who is this ultimate warrior basically uh, going to going to be? Is it going to be a woman? Is it going to be a man? And uh, is it going to be one of these group of five that she's so sure it is? Um, and and what's going to happen? So, but but you got Rosamund Pike leading the way, and I just don't think you can go wrong with her. She is phenomenal. She is just I could watch her do anything. The old cliche of I could watch her reading the phone book on stage. I think she'd find some way to make it interesting because she's just got that great face that can tell you a million different things. And it's why she was so great in Gone Girl. And, you know, Ben Affleck was just whatever. But she was electrifying in that movie and so scary. And, um, you know, you just believed her all the way. And there's something about her that I think is mysterious and is is just fun to watch. And so to have her leading this show is the real coup of the Wheel of Time. I think without her, this show would not be nearly as uh, interesting as it has been during the first season. But I've been impressed with what I've seen. I wonder uh, what your thoughts are because I feel like the buzz has gotten bigger as the episodes have gone on. And Amazon has said that it's been one of their most popular shows that they have ever done. So I, I like the way the sets look. I like the way I love the, um, the landscape shots. Um, I've, I've been enjoying it. So I don't know. I I'm, uh, intrigued to see where this finale is going to go. And, uh, maybe I'll have some more thoughts on that next month after the finale airs. Maybe I'll come back and be like, well, that really blew, uh, so much for what I said about the wheel of time. Don't waste your time. Uh, but so far, I'm I'm really digging it, and I think I'm six episodes in now to the first season, which is going to be an eight-episode season. Um, so, yeah, check it out. If you like uh, fantasy storytelling at all, if you have been trying to find something to be the next Game of Thrones for you, and this show is leaning hard into that, the biggest difference I've heard from, from what I've heard of people who are who know the book series is that in the books, these characters were a lot younger like coming of age kind of younger. And in this show, they're all adults. So like this show is much more adult than the books are. Uh, but it uh, it's not like loaded with gore. It's not loaded with like constant nudity. There's really not much sex in it at all. Hasn't been so far in the first season. Little bits of nudity, mostly like naked asses. 
uh, but nothing even close to like what you would see on Game of Thrones on a weekly basis. You would never want to watch it with your family. I, this show is not that. It's not leaning into it that much. Um, uh, more violent, I would say, than sex-filled. Uh, and the language in it isn't anything crazy either. So, again, it, it's it's a lot tamer than Game of Thrones, I think, but it is kind of leaning in trying to be that kind of a, a of a show for sure. Because why not? You know what I mean? That show caught fire, and and people didn't expect it to be a big mainstream, you know, high fantasy, uh, you know, brutal storytelling, killing off main characters. Nobody thought that was going to take hold and be a mainstream hit, but it was. So Amazon's thinking, yeah, maybe we've uh, got something like that on our hands here because uh, the show looks like they've spent a lot of money and care on it, which is not always the case with streaming originals. Uh, so I recommend it so far. Check out The Wheel of Time streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. Its first season is just about to wrap up. Interesting. Uh, interested to know your thoughts if you've watched it at all. Maybe if you've read the books, how do they diverge? And uh, how do they compare? Hit me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. You're not from here, are you? The old wisdom brought you here when you were a baby. A baby whose parents passed. But no one can remember exactly when. That's the thing about these little towns. No one keeps records of anything. Birds, deaths. It doesn't mean we don't remember. That old wisdom, the woman who raised me. When she was only 13, she realized she could listen to the wind. And she went to the White Tower. She walked from here. Took her months. And when she got there, your sisters took one look at her ragged clothes her peasant accent, and they turned her away. She was small and from a little town, but she remembered until the day she died. So do I. All right, I'm going to throw things over to Andy, sit back, puff my stogie, take a drink of water, and uh, he's going to tell you about Adele's new record and also hit you up with five of his favorite songs from... 2021 as we say goodbye to this year all right uh, take it away mr sedlak merry christmas mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. Yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Christmas and Happy New Year to you. My name is Andy Sedlak. Thank you so much for listening once again to the Stream Police Podcast. If you have not uh, taken just a second or two to rate and review, uh, boy, that'd be that would be a nice Christmas gift to Clint and I. In fact, I can't think of anything that I want more than a, uh, a nice little review, a nice little rating, a little boost to help us stand out. It'd be swell. My name is Andy Sedlak. Great to be with you. Sometimes I do find myself wondering. I find myself wondering what my generation will be remembered for musically. What is our legacy? Who did we contribute to the musical timeline? And, and, you know, a few names come to mind. There's, well, there's Beyonce, there's Eminem, there's Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Kanye West, and Adele. Without a doubt, Adele belongs on that list. So naturally, it's news when she puts out a new album, which she just did. She just put out her fourth record called 30. Um, It is called 30, which was her age when she recorded it. And that one came out in the middle of November. And 30, you know, it's a little bit of a different turn for Adele, although not that different. One could argue it's more understated, maybe more adult, less piss and vinegar from the uh, sassy Londoner. So today, let, let's let's do this. Let's dissect it. Let's dissect Adele's 30. What works, what doesn't work, and what she's really trying to say this time around. It's really, look, this is just a good old-fashioned album review. So let's get on with it. Get on with it! First, let's Talk numbers. Are we dissecting a successful album? And the answer is yes, of course we are. The record, 30, debuted at number one on the Billboard album chart, and its first single broke Spotify's streaming record. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's doing okay. When you get right down to it, Adele is one of the few artists today whose albums are a big deal. The album itself, as in a collection of songs, in whole, from front to back. People want to hear all of an Adele album. They want to listen to the whole thing. They internalize it and digest the work as a whole. They do the same thing with with, uh, Taylor Swift albums, although that personally not my cup of tea. But in this respect, Adele, her work and the way she presents it, The way it's embraced by her fan base is is a bit of a throwback. Throwback. That might be the operative word when we break this thing down. If you are used to Adele kind of flaunting uh, 60s girl group uh, influences and and going big and epic, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Rolling in the Deep, Set Fire to the Rain, you're you're not going to get that with this album. There's no rock influence at all. Um, It's like a mixture of 40s torch ballads and some of the electronic polish of today. That's the torch she's carrying. 
there are some strummy things on it too, which is not something that you typically associate with Adele. Um, not that this isn't a big record. It certainly sounds big. But a lot of those 40s songs were big too. You know, just because they're old doesn't mean they weren't big. They had like orchestras uh, playing on these things and and strings and choirs and, and, and all of that stuff is here as well. It's here on Adele's 30, uh, but it's measured, you know? It's measured. If there is such a thing as a quiet epic, uh, Adele's new record is probably it. And all of this is apparent on the very first song, right out of the gate. It sounds like it's straight from the 1940s. Listen to how she opens her new album. I'll be taking flowers to the cemetery of my heart For all of my lovers in their present and in the dark Every anniversary I'll pay respects and say I'm sorry For they never stood That's called Strangers by Nature. And then we slide into the first single called Easy on Me. Not bombastic, again, not rolling in the deep or hello. Uh, but, but the story with this song is in her phrasings. Her words wrap warmly around the lyric and, and they, it, it, it just it pops at just the right time in the chorus. Listen to how she punctuates the word easy. Vocally, there's like that cocksure sense of control. It's command in the vocal booth. And it's that delivery that maintains your interest and keeps you keeps you into the song. It's all very pleasant. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's the word. Pleasant. Comforting. Um, you've probably heard it, but here is Easy On Me. First single, second track on the album again. Listen to that little inflection point on the word easy. It makes the whole song work. There ain't no room for things to change When we are both so deeply stuck in our ways You can't deny how hard I've tried I changed you
That's easy on me. Here's what Adele herself says about that track. Well, I just thought it was a good、um, indicator of what to expect lyrically from the rest of the album. It was the first song I wrote for the album. It's a very calm record, easy on me. Like you know, obviously it's talking about like things falling apart and stuff, but it's also very grown up. It's a very grown up way of sort of. You know, knocking down your life and having to have those very big conversations. Like, you know, it was, it's never going to be like twenty-one or twenty-five. Was a bit more about myself, really. But like, in terms of me in a relationship, but me blaming someone else.、Um, but it just felt like a, it just felt like the right tone to be where I'm at in terms of relationships falling apart now. From there, we move to the weakest song on the album. It's called Little Love, and this is where artistic self-indulgence、uh, gets the better of her. It's basically a, a six and a half minute spoken word piece. It's got voice memos that she recorded on her phone、uh, of her talking to her son. That is played. Those recordings are played in the song. But here's the problem: the recordings themselves are way low in the mix. Like you cannot hear these voice memos very well at all, especially when her son speaks. It just—it's hard to. It's hard to to pick up on what he is saying. So every time one of these voice memos is played over the track, you're you kind of you're like listening closely. You're kind of like what? I had to I had to hear it several times before I could kind of pick it up. She's telling him things like she still loves his father, who she divorced last year,、um, and and she tells her son he's obviously like two or three that. That she is a person, she is confused and doesn't know what she's doing, like in life. <laughs> you know, I understand she's she's going for raw and honest,、uh, but it just comes across kind of weird, you know, slightly voyeuristic.、Uh, maybe that's the way to look at it. And really, at the end of the day, not all that compelling.、Uh, when I was listening, there's no moment where I went, "Huh, huh, okay." The track "Little Love" reaches its nadir when she plays voice recordings of herself, like crying, sobbing, stressed out. It's backed by these descending piano lines and, and light gospel accents. And again, it's, it, it goes on for about six and a half minutes. This is how the album starts. It's it's really a weird beginning. I mean, in the first. Fifteen、uh, minutes or so, the first three songs, you're a little all over the place. Again, kicks off with something that sounds like it's could be eighty years old. Then you get the first single on the album, and then this this six minute spoken word piece with with iPhone voice memos. It's all just it, it starts a little haphazard. The good news is the record finds its stride after that. In fact, it begins to present itself. In like little sequences, mini sequences. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. After the the voice memo song, "Little Love," the next three songs are all up tempo, three right in a row, pure pop songwriting. Then comes another trio of songs that are all like mid tempo, and each one sort of bleeds into the next pretty effectively. There's a big torch ballad in there. It, you know, each song sort of looks at themes of of Reflection and and self encouragement.、Uh, the album's big showpiece 
is actually second to last on the record. It's called To Be Loved. Um, and then we finally end the record with another song that sounds like suited for the, the 40s or early 50s. So if the voice memo song is the low point, what's the highlight? To Be Loved is definitely a riveting recording. That's that second to last song that I mentioned. But for my money, the highlight is a song called I Drink Wine. I Drink Wine. Let's listen, and then we'll break it down. How can one become so bounded by choices that somebody else makes? How can we both become a version of a person we don't even like? We're in love with the world, but the world just wants to bring us down By putting ideas in our heads that corrupt our hearts somehow When I was a child, every single thing could blow my Soaking it all up for fun But now I only soak up wine They say to play hard, you work hard Find balance in the sacrifice Yet I don't know anybody Who's truly satisfied You better believe and try to keep climbing But the higher we climb Feels like we're both none the wiser So I hope I learn To get over myself You know, that may be her single best vocal. That said, it's not flashy. Truth be told, I'm not really a big fan of flashy anyway. That flash thing gets in the way of the lyrics. When I hear people like like Mariah Carey or even Whitney Houston, it's like they're just beating you over the head with their vocal. You, you, you can't focus on anything else. Even if it's like a technical feat, uh, it's still exhausting. Adele, on this song especially, uh, has a vocal that's both powerful and effortless. She's not forcing it. Nothing's being forced here. She's got a good melody that she's working with, and she's convincing in the message that she's trying to deliver. Really, the delivery and the lyric line up perfectly. It's, it's, it's just right. It's just right. And when I listened to I Drink Wine, Elton John came to mind. I could hear Elton John doing this song. Let's listen again, see if you agree. In these crazy times, I hope to find something that can cling on to. Cause I need some substance in my life, something real, something that feels true. You better believe for you, I've cried. That's got Elton written all over it. Elton John, by the way, another performer with a powerful voice, but is careful not to force it on a lyric. Phrasing is everything. Doesn't have to crank things up to 10 every time out. And Adele uh, sort of operates in a similar way. In fact, on the song To Be Loved, she allows her voice to crack late in the song. And, and it, it is so effective. There's humanity in that. 
It's not a perfect production of a song, but it is a performance of a song. It's not a production. It is a performance. Performances aren't perfect, but they're real. They're honest. So let's listen to that. Let's listen to To Be Loved. To be loved and loved at the highest count Means to lose all the things I can't live without Let it be known, known, known that I will choose I will lose this to sacrifice To be loved. A song called All Night Parking is another highlight. It's part of the mid tempo sequence that I mentioned. That song features Errol Garner. So technically, it's Adele featuring Errol Garner. You may ask, who is that? Who is Errol Garner? Funny thing about him, he actually died in 1977, well before Adele was even born. Errol Garner was a jazz musician famous for a song called Misty. Ever see the Clint Eastwood movie play Misty for me? That is the Misty referenced in the title. Errol Garner is a piano player, and it's his piano that you hear in the song, and it is distinctive. It is distinctive. Quite the tip of the hat to credit him as a featured artist on the track. Adele has never featured another artist on any of her albums. I know you've got things to do. I do too. I just want to spend all my time with you. so good. I'm so hard to impress. Don't leave me on this stretch alone. When I'm out at a party, I'm just excited to get home and dream about you all night long. She is funny as an artist, by the way. Her past two or three albums, all tremendously successful, and then silence. She does her own thing keeps a low profile, does not court the media. She doesn't blow up social media. Uh, She she doesn't get into movies or or TV or uh, any of the singing competition game shows, anything like that. Uh, She just drops a, a phenomenally successful record, supports it, and then goes away. And then she drops a tremendously successful record, supports it, and goes away. It's the type of thing... You can only do if the art itself is top-notch. You don't have to keep reminding people who you are or what your brand is. The art itself is more than enough to send the message that you have something worthwhile to say. How many artists 
wish they were in those shoes. I wonder. I think it's a very hopeful album. I think I don't think it's just easy on me and stuff. I think it's a very yeah. It's someone rolling up their sleeves and getting on their hands and knees and like crawling through shit to come out the other end. Yeah. Like, I don't. I definitely. I'm definitely not uncomfortable in sadness. I feel like I'm just a naturally sad person. Yeah. But I don't want to live like that. Yeah. That's not how... And I don't want my son to see me living like that. And I don't want my son to inherit that just like, OK, cool, well, I'll just sit here then and just feel like shit all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, and let other people know that I feel like shit so you can sit in my shit and all. Like, that's not a trait I like about myself. In the end, do I recommend this album? Yeah, for sure. I recommend Adele's 30. It's just nice to listen to an artist that knows what they're doing. It's not perfect. It's a little self-conscious, but she's in the zone, and she's presenting her art the way that she wants to. And I always like the sense that I get when I feel like I'm listening to a real artist. It's a cool feeling letting the real deal wash over you. Check it out. It's Adele's 30. All right, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. Every month we add five more songs to the playlist, which you can find and enjoy on Spotify. All you have to do is search Stream Police. And seeing as how we're we're at the end of the year, I'm going to give you uh, five of my favorite songs from 2021, okay? All of these songs were released last year. The first is The Climb Back by J. Cole. Lord, those images haunting. I ain't been asleep yet. It's 10 in the morning. I'm sending a warning. A problem with me is like the BET Hip Hop Awards. I'm starting to see you niggas don't want it. I'm sick of this flaunting. From niggas I know for sure ain't got more dough than cold trash rappers. Ass backwards trying to go toe to toe. We laugh at you. Staff strapped up on top the totem pole to blast at you. Bassmasters, look how they total pole. Gotta know the ropes and the protocol. Or they gon' for sure blow your clothes half off like a promo code. Made a little tune called Folding Clothes. And a nigga still ain't on the fold under pressure. Well, you know what cold do. Make a diamond, they just rhyming me. I'm quoting gold. One phone call gets you canceled like a homophobe. In this PC culture, dress me as the goat like they... Second also released just this year. It's Sweet, I Thought You Wanted to Dance by Tyler, the Creator. on the list YKTV by Nas Boogie with the Hoodie and YD also on this track Every time I pop out and pop off pop off YKTV got the top off top off Private estate I'm a mob boss mob boss Every time I pop out and pop off YKTV God son they call me son ain't no son of me Brand a hundred M's bitch I'm running things Paper pal pussy that shit coming threes What you think I owe you some girl for fucking me Imagine little Uzi on a primo beat 
Imagining a yes on Amigo beat. Hip hop culture, Henny on coasters, watching hundred inch screens, see who's sitting with Oprah. Black phantoms, women coming in tandems, bags of lavish. She praying she don't get abandoned. Bag big from laying these ad libs. My photo, the Jordan logo for this rap shit. Oculus VR, that's how I see shit. I can't let you drive the boat if you get seasick. Draped in all red, she thought I was woofy. 4 a.m. still going, I'm not even woozy. Let your friends catch a ride. Whip only got two seats. Slip and slide through Miami, she got. All right, probably the the, the breakout artist of 2021. Uh, also made uh, my list of top five. Brutal by Olivia Rodrigo. I'm so insecure, I think, that I'll die before I drink. And I'm so caught up in the news of who likes me and who hates you. And I'm so tired that I might quit my job, start a new life. And they'd all be so disappointed, because who am I if not exploited? And I'm so sick of 17, where's my fucking teenage dream? If someone tells me one more time, enjoy your youth, I'm going to cry. And I don't stick up for myself, I'm anxious and nothing can help. And I wish I'd done this before, and I wish people liked me more. And finally, one of my absolute favorite songs of 2021. This is Buddy Boy by John Hyatt and Jerry Douglas. Hey, buddy boy, your feet are always heading west. Your mind is lying in the weeds. Your heart is stomping in your chest. Come down off your high horse Why don't you give it a rest Hey buddy boy Hey buddy boy Hey buddy boy Just keep doing what you do Gonna wake up some morning Won't be no one around You'll be talking to four walls And wanna be talking back to you Hey buddy boy Hey buddy boy For some reason that thing just sounds so good to me. Let's hear a little bit more. Hey buddy boy Don't care how much you know yourself You can't think your way out of this one You're gonna need some help Hey buddy boy Now who's giving you the slip? Love is your destination But you're always on some kind of trip Buddy Boy, John Hyatt, Jerry Douglas. Okay, friends. Well, that's it. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season. Stay safe. 
Get that booster shot if you haven't already. Let's take care of each other, all that stuff. Let's do what we're supposed to do. All right. See ya. Okay, so Nas, Tyler, and J. Cole, and Olivia riding with John Hyatt. Not a bad crew, if I uh, say so myself. From uh, the the batch of tunes that came out of 2021, Andy giving you five of his favorites on the playlist. Subscribe to the playlist, man. It's uh, it it is such a like. There's so much good stuff on there, um, and yeah, there's a lot of great old rock on there. There's a lot of genres uh, that Andy's hit on over the years, and I've added a few to the to the list as well here and there. But uh, um, just some some really great stuff on the playlist. So check it out on Spotify. You search Stream Police, you'll find the show, which you can subscribe to on Spotify, and you'll also find the playlist. So uh, click the little heart and add it to your own uh, Spotify library right there. It's great for shuffling. So thank you very much again, Andy. All right, getting back to the small screen now. um, I wanted to tell you that I, I dipped into... Disney Plus's Marvel Cinematic Universe TV Universe. Finally, I have not, um, I hadn't, wa- haven't watched WandaVision yet. Haven't gotten into Hawkeye yet. I don't know if I want to watch. Spend that much time hearing the name Clint said on TV. That kind of always weirds me out. So maybe I'll be staying away from Hawkeye. But I do like Haley Steinfeld, so I do want to give it a shot. But anyway, I spent some time watching Loki. Since the last time we spoke, and I wanted to give you my take on Loki, my first trip into the MCU's TV offerings, uh, and I gotta say, I was impressed to a point, all right? I thought the pilot for Loki was phenomenal. I, I was like, man, this is... Th- like I couldn't wait to keep watching the show, and I think I did immediately start the second episode. I'm not a big binge watcher; never have been. Um, couple shows that have made me want to binge them as time went. You know, it was like in the early days, The Sopranos, when I was catching it on DVD and uh, The Wire as well. You know, those are shows that made me just want to keep watching, but not a huge binge watcher in general. But Loki was one that made me want to immediately dive into the second episode because I thought the pilot was fantastic. Truly one of the best realized um, and well-crafted pilots that I can remember seeing on TV in a long time. But unfortunately, I don't think the show ever quite lived up to the promise that that pilot showed as it went on. It didn't feel like the rest of it was quite as well-realized as the pilot was uh, and Loki. In case you don't know, I mean, in case you've like lived under a rock, or you just you're one of those people that don't give a shit about you know the MCU. And you know, if you are, that's fine. I get it. Uh, you know, they, they're everywhere, and it, they really have ruined the budget, the budgetary process, and uh, they've ruined the idea of who gets to what movies get the most money uh, for their budget. Uh, and they've, I mean, they've just turned everything into tent pole city really. And everything has to be connected and everything has to have cute little references and Easter eggs. And it's exhausting. I get it. I mean, the MCU has done a lot of bad stuff to cinema for sure. 
Um, but I do like them, and I, I've, you know, I'm going to keep watching them. I, I enjoy those movies. I like that they've got all these kind of really good actors that they lock in for what are essentially TV series, but done on the biggest budget possible and done in movie theaters, um, and they all tie together. And I, I love that kind of stuff. I think it's cool. Uh, but I, you know, we could debate all day long whether the MCU has been good or bad for uh, for cinema. But anyway. In case you've been living under a rock or you don't care about that stuff, Loki follows the character Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston, in the um, he's been in the Thor movies, he's been a couple of the Avengers movies as well, and um, Hiddleston's back here as Loki once again. We thought we had seen the last of him because, spoiler alert, he is killed in uh, I think it was Endgame. Uh, one of the the last Avengers movies. I can't remember if it was Endgame or Infinity War. Anyway, Loki's killed. So it was like, well, I mean, that was really shocking. But, of course, they undo that by making it this TV show about him. So that kind of takes the sting out of his death, really, because he was one of the most intriguing characters in the MCU. And it was like he legitimately died. And, of course, in the MCU... At the end of Infinity War, they did the whole deal where every where half of all the characters like turned to ash, and you thought they were gone forever, and it was like, whoa! I mean, this was legitimately risky stuff being done by what's ultimately a very safe. Everything's okay by the time the credits roll, you know. Everything's reset. Sitcom kind of way to tell stories. It felt like, man, they really did do that, but of course that was undone as well. And so, you know, I mean, it's like they're undoing every bit of really dramatic stuff. I wouldn't be shocked if Tony Stark ends up coming back, like, in three movies somehow. Like, they're going to bring him back just because people want Robert Downey Jr. again to be in these movies. But anyway, uh, so Loki brings Loki back for a new series of adventures that take place, you know, in the past. So these are this the chronology of this is kind of wedged in between some of the movies and I'm not going to get into all of like how it's set up and how it works. You'll you'll find that out if you watch the first episode, but like I said, I thought the pilot was so good because what it does is it takes you to this new place that we have not seen in any of the movies, any of the shows that that I well I haven't seen the shows so I guess I should just say in the movies maybe it's in the other shows but anyway the time variance authority is where Loki finds himself because he violates the sacred timeline and this is the whole idea of Loki that there are you know Marvel's getting into this whole multiverse deal now uh, and figuring that they can have multiple versions of the same characters existing in the same universe through the idea of the multiverse, which is something that comics have juggled for a long time. Comics have played with the multiverse for decades, but movies never really got into it because it's it's kind of a, a very heady thing, and there's almost too many possibilities, and so it takes a lot of the impact out of good storytelling because you, you can say anything could happen as long as it's in a different universe. Um, on a different timeline, whatever. You know, any time travel movie you've seen has talked about the timeline. And so Loki is obsessed with the timeline. So there's a lot of meta stuff going on in here about, like, what really happened, what's canon, what's not canon in the Avengers universe in Loki's own life. We find out there are all kinds of different Lokis that have, that exist on different timelines, They're and they're very different from each other. We've got, you know, old Loki who's wearing, like, the classic, really dorky Loki costume from like the early comics 
the early Thor comics to we've got an alligator Loki, which I don't know where that comes from. I'm guessing all this stuff comes from the comics. I don't think I feel like in the MCU they don't make anything up because there's such a wealth of Marvel comic stuff to hit on that there's really no no reason for them to make anything up. It's like it can all be pulled from somewhere. Uh, which probably stifles the writers a lot, but also just gives them this huge wealth of weird things they can pull on and always be like, hey, I didn't come up with it. It was uh, Stan Lee back in 1975 dropping acid and uh, came up with an alligator Loki. So what can what can I say? So anyway, there's all these different Lokis. And the main Loki, Tom Hiddleston, ends up crossing paths with them. Owen Wilson plays uh, kind of an agent of the Time Variance Authority who is you know, tasked with keeping an eye on Loki and also fixing a problem in the timeline where a dastardly villain is uh, killing agents of the Time Variance Authority and uh, getting away with from the scene of the crime every time. And so they're trying to figure out who is doing this. And uh, so it's, a, you know, kind of a, a little bit of an investigative mystery this whole first season of Loki is. Uh, but anyway, I was, like I said, I thought the pilot kicked ass. I loved the way it looked. The Time Variance Authority looked like it was so lived in and real. And I just wanted to walk around in there. I thought it looked awesome. And the whole idea that there's this group of people watching over the timeline and making sure, like, wiping memories if things happen that aren't supposed to happen uh, was really cool. I think it's nerdy, cool shit, honestly. And there's so many possibilities with that that it's almost staggering. Um, but the show just, I felt like, never lived up again to what I saw in that first episode. It felt like everything else was kind of a shell of that first episode. I was by no means let down or angry that I watched this first season because really it's only six hours, six episodes. They're, and they're like not all an hour long, so it's less than six hours. Um, so totally worth the time because I feel like budget-wise, it looks great. It looks like an MCU product. It doesn't look cheap. Like the way that like Agent Carter or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, they didn't feel like MCU stuff. They felt like made-for-TV versions of MCU stuff using like costumes that came out of the Halloween shop across the street, right? They did not feel like, like you were never going to see the movie characters pop into those shows. And if you did, it would be like the biggest deal ever and it would happen one time. But Loki really felt and looked like a bit of the MCU. So it, it felt legit. Um, but I just felt like the show didn't ever feel as risky or as transformative as it did in that pilot. The pilot really felt like something, wow, the, this is the possibilities here are endless. And I felt like it kind of shrunk from there. Uh, but I will say it was awesome to see Owen Wilson back. I thought he was really good in his role because I just feel like I haven't seen Owen Wilson in forever. And, um, you know, it was, it was fun to see him back at it again. I had a big month of Owen Wilson cause I watched cars three this month as well. And that movie had absolutely no, no right to be as good as it was. I cannot believe how good Cars 3 was after the shit show that was Cars 2. Um, and really, Cars 1 has always been kind of, you know, if it wasn't for Paul Newman, it would be uh, completely forgettable. But Cars 3 was legitimately, like, good, a great way to do a sequel. Anyway, so Owen Wilson, I've been spending a lot of time with him this month. He's really good in this show. Fun to see him back. Um, he's got a good character to play who battles with a lot of morality issues, 
wonders whether or not to trust Loki. Of course, you never can trust Loki. Uh, so Owen Wilson's character kind of battles a lot internally with that stuff, and I thought he played the part well. But I was m- so impressed with Sophia DiMartino, who's an actor that I had never seen before, and I guess she is pretty much unknown. But she comes in and absolutely steals the entire series. She plays another one, and I'm slightly spoiling something for you here, but really, I mean, it's I think it, it, it's it's a fine thing to spoil because it doesn't give away like what's really happening in the show. But anyway, she plays another one of the Lokis. So we've got this woman Loki as well who exists. And so she is like another take on this selfish asshole character. And you've got like, it's fun to see all these different Lokis existing in various timelines and acting in slightly different ways, but they're always all being a selfish asshole Really, at the end of the day, they're all just looking out for number one. Even when they work together, it's like they're only working for Loki. They're not trying to help anyone but another Loki. Um, and I think the storyline between Tom Hiddleston and Sophia DiMartino's Lokis is really unique, really weird at times because it does turn into a romance between this character and himself, basically, but who else could Loki fall in love with than Loki, right? So I think it made perfect sense. And I think, you know, Tom Hiddleston keeps things grounded in this show, but I cannot say that he grabs me in any meaningful way. And I can't really say that he's ever grabbed me that much. I mean, I think in the in the Avengers and in Kenneth Branagh's Thor, he was memorable, uh, especially in the Avengers. I mean, he was definitely like the best part of the movie. Um, and certainly one of the best villains that the MCU's ever had. Uh, but in this show, he's kind of just more subdued than Sophia DiMartino's character, than Owen Wilson even, than the other Lokis we see. He's almost like low-key Loki, if I can say that. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that really disappointed me was the way that Loki ended its first season. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but I went into this thinking that this was like a mini series. I thought it was going to be a one-off story, but the series, the season ends with a cliffhanger to the next season. So honestly, I was kind of disappointed because I thought that it was a good place to end. And I, I was like, yeah, oh, we're doing more of this. So we're going to have even more Loki. And I'm not disappointed that maybe I'll see more of Sofia Martino because, again, I was just enthralled by her. I thought every time she was on screen, couldn't look away. Uh, and she was great. And I, I'm going to be bummed if she doesn't end up being in any of the movies because I think she's worthy of being in the films. Um, but uh, she's she's brilliant. It's, it's worth watching the show just to see her play this part that's really been in so many of the MCU films and, and that Tom Hiddleston has made his signature role. Uh, and he's an actor that's had several really big time roles over his career, but she, she comes in and makes it her own like immediately. And uh, she's just great. And her costumes are awesome. And th- that's one thing I really did like about Loki was the costumes, the set design, the, the production design, is so well done. Uh, they just really created a good, lived-in, real-looking world full of great costuming um, that tells you things about the characters, the just the things in the background, the papers piled up on the desks. It all just feels real, and it feels kind of droll at times when you're in that office of the Time Variance Authority and Owen Wilson, 
his character is dreaming about jet skis, even though he's, you know, never ridden a jet ski. It's all he thinks about. And he has a jet ski magazine and, you know, he, he dreams about riding a jet ski and getting a jet ski. And, uh, he lives in this universe basically that there's no one jet skis. So he's got to go back in time if he wants to do that kind of stuff. But there's just all kinds of little mysteries that come in and uh, are resolved as it goes on. But yeah, I felt like in the end, I was a little bit disappointed by the bang. The climax didn't really uh, blow me away. Um, but what you get here is some good acting and you get an interesting new world for the MCU to be to play around in. Uh, and a lot of possibilities opened up as well. The special effects looked awesome. Um, it's just that's the kind of stuff that the Netflix Marvel shows like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, those shows were more about character and they had to be because they were never going to have the kind of special effects budget that the MCU proper that Disney is going to give to these shows. So it looks way better than like the Netflix Marvel shows, the ABC Marvel shows did. Um, it looks like the MCU, like I said, it looks like it just fits in. Those always to me felt like kind of low budget knockoffs. And this really feels like part of the MCU. It's a cool show. I don't know if Loki is necessary viewing for anyone but MCU lovers, really? I mean, I don't think, unless you're an MCU enthusiast, or you're just a big Tom Hiddleston fan, or you just like the character of Loki, um, and it's hard not to, because he is one of the most interesting characters in that whole universe. Uh, I don't know that this is essential viewing, though. I don't know that it adds a lot. I don't, have, I don't feel like it has any real bearing on the films. Maybe it will as it goes on, but I would definitely call this supplementary. Uh, but worth six hours of your time. It was a fun watch, uh, and it, it went by really quickly, and it made me want to watch the other MCU TV shows. So they've got four of them now at this point, which is crazy. Uh, but uh, Loki, to me, was impressive enough for me to check out the other ones. So it's streaming now on Disney+, Plus. all six episodes of the first season, and uh, you can... You can go from there because they're going to keep on coming, even though I thought it was going to be a one-season one-off. The end of the first season would tell you otherwise. But check it out now on Disney+. Plus. If you have any interest, I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give it a recommendation. I'm Agent Mobius, by the way. Are you taking me somewhere to kill me? No, that's where you just were. I'm taking you someplace to talk. Well, I don't like to talk, but you do like to lie, which you just did. Because we both know you love to talk. Talky, talky. How long have you been here? I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, time passes differently here in the TBA. What does that mean? You'll catch up. So you're part of the TBA's courageous and dedicated workforce? Yes. You were created by the timekeepers. Yep. To protect the sacred timeline. Correct. <laughs> Is that funny? The idea that your little club decides the fate of trillions of people across all of existence at the behest of three space lizards. Yes, it's funny. It's absurd. All right, so in just a second, I'm going to be giving you some uh, streaming recommendations across Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and uh, HBO Max movie recommendations. We've been talking a lot about TV in this episode, but uh, at the end, I always like to devote my time to the movies. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you what the best thing I watched this month was. And I had a great month of viewing. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see every time I watch a movie, I post what I'm viewing that night, tonight's viewing, and my story. And um, you can comment 
you can, you know, at me if you want to. You can DM me uh, and give me your thoughts on whatever movie. I love when people do that. I like to hear their thoughts on the, the movies that I'm watching um, or to hear if it's something that they are in, interested in and maybe they want to know my thoughts. I'll give you my thoughts on a DM because uh, I don't review them on Instagram. I just tell you what I'm watching. I try to just just leave it at that. Not editorialize too much on there. Leave that for this show. But anyway, in the last month, I watched a lot of good stuff. I watched Humphrey Bogart uh, in a Lonely Place from 1950. Uh, I watched Ian McKellen burn up the screen in Gods and Monsters in 1998. From 1998, I should say, that movie blew me away. I had never seen it somehow. I'd missed it. Uh, from the last couple of years, I watched 1917. I watched The Father with Anthony Hopkins. Both of them blew me away. The father, just acting-wise, was pitch perfect. 1917, production-wise, blew me away as far as war movies. It was immediately right near the top of my list, and that's a genre that's full of great ones. But none of them were the best thing I watched this month. That honor goes to 1996's Hamlet. The Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, which this the Hamlet has been done... A million times. It's been done to death by Hollywood. Everybody's done it over the years. But to me, the Kenneth Branagh, and I have by no means seen them all. But this is, to me, the definitive Hamlet because this is exactly what I've always wanted from a Shakespearean adaptation. No corners cut. It's four hours long, okay? Which maybe you're like going, oh my God, I cannot watch a four-hour movie but this is Hamlet. No, nothing's cut. Every brilliant classic line, every twist and turn is in there. Um, the performances are incredible. Phenomenal casting all the way through this thing. Great sets. Great costumes that are stylish. Um, you know, the, the era of the, of the movie isn't made modern, but it's also not the same era that it was set in when Shakespeare wrote the thing. So it's a little bit more engaging, I think, than what you could see in some stage productions, some stuffy stage productions. This is not a stuffy film at all, if that's what you're thinking. If maybe the Olivier Shakespeare adaptations feel a little stuffy to you, Branagh's is not at all. And Branagh directs it and stars in it. And this is the ultimate passion project for him. He wanted to make the uncut Hamlet and have it released in theaters. He got the money. Uh, because of basically being, you know, the great Hamlet of the 1990s um, at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And so people, his performance as Hamlet is not lost to the wind like a lot of the other great ones are. His is preserved for us to see forever in this movie. And um, when I see a Shakespeare adaptation done, I want to see a great stage performance that I would never otherwise have gotten to see, but done in a way that's cinematic, okay? And that's exactly what happens in 1996's Hamlet. I was just knocked on my ass because it was a movie for sure, but it was the play uh, at its heart. And to quote the, the play, the play's the thing, and uh, it, it's all just done really well. And like I said, beautiful sets, phenomenal acting. The cast, Julie Christie, Derek Jacoby, Kate Winslet, very young Kate Winslet in this. Gerard Depardieu is in it. Branna, as I said, right at the top as the Dane himself. Robin Williams and Billy Crystal come in and have small roles. Very memorable. Just awesome. 
Um, I had never seen this before for whatever reason. I had never seen the 1996 Hamlet, but I, I sought it out and found it on DVD. I would have loved to have found it on Blu-ray 4K. This would be a phenomenal movie to watch on 4K, but man, I wish I had seen this on the big screen. If somebody ever does bring it back to the big screen, I would love to check it out. Maybe in 2026, maybe somebody will get the balls to put it on the big screen for the 30th anniversary, and I would be there in a heartbeat. Uh, Well, if COVID's gone. But anyway, 1996's Hamlet, directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Kenneth Branagh, best thing I watched this month. And boy, the competition was stiff. I did love you once. Indeed, my lord. You made me believe so. But you should not have believed me. For virtue cannot so inoculate our old stock, but we shall relish of it. I loved you not. I was the more deceived. Get thee to a nunnery. Hmm? Why wouldst thou be a breeder of sinners? I am myself indifferent, honest, but yet I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me. I am very proud, revengeful, ambitious, with more offences at my back than I have thoughts to put them in, imagination to give them shape or time to act them in. What should such fellows as I do, crawling between earth and heaven? We are arrant knaves all. Believe none of us. Go thy ways to a nunnery. Hmm? All right, let's get to some recommendations. Movies streaming now. On Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max, I'll give you two from each. I'm going to give you one that's light, one that's dark. I do this at the end of every episode. Let's start on Netflix. Uh, In the light file, I'm going to give you 1999's Life. So funny. One of the funniest movies of the 1990s. It's kind of become now like a cult favorite, but I, I feel like it was totally underrated when it came out. Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence... Um, and it's right up there with any of Eddie Murphy's comedies as far as how funny it is. I think it's got a really a legitimately good story also about racism, about incarceration. It's about these two guys going to doing life in prison in very questionable circumstances for a crime they did not commit. Two black guys, obviously. Uh, and it's in the South, and it is uh, just a great story. There's some good old-age makeup done with... Eddie and with Martin and seeing them together is is fantastic. It's also got a really good soundtrack. The soundtrack to Life was was legit uh, back then in 1999. So check out Life on Netflix if you missed it or maybe you just forgot about it and you want to check it out again. Still, it's so funny to this day. Awesome movie. Something Dark for You on Netflix. 2012's Looper. This was Ryan Johnson uh, who... You know, according to the incels, ruined Star Wars, even though I thought The Last Jedi, the Last Jedi was pretty phenomenal. Um, he did this, you know, kind of mind-bending, time-travel-involved action film with Bruce Willis and with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing the same part, uh, just at different ages of the same part, but existing in the same timeline. And this is a, a really cool movie. I was I, I caught Looper for the first time just a couple of years ago. I didn't see it when it came out uh, and really, really liked it, really didn't think it was very tough to follow at all and uh, just enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool premise, well done, well executed, original piece of sci-fi filmmaking, not based on a book, which is Hard to come by. So check out Looper on Netflix if you missed that. It also is a good one to check out in HD. On uh, Amazon Prime Video, something light for you. This is debatable. 2006's Little Miss Sunshine could be categorized as a black comedy, but really one of the great family comedies ever done, one of the great road movies ever done. Who doesn't like a road movie? And the whole family crams into the van to try to drive across the country basically to get... um, Little Abigail Breslin's character into this 
you know, child beauty pageant that her grandfather, played by the great Alan Arkin, has prepared her for. Um, and the family is going through some very hard times. You got Greg Kinnear, you got Tony Collette, Paul Dano. The cast is tremendous. And um, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris directed the great music video directors, and they do it with such a sure hand. I love Little Miss Sunshine. I think it's dramatic moments hit with such power. I think it's comedic moments are truly hilarious, uh, including that final performance at the uh, at the pageant, which little Abigail Breslin just, I mean, she just nails it and deserves any career she has had since then because she just lit it on fire in that final scene of Little Miss Sunshine. So it's a, it's a great ensemble piece. Steve Carell, also very good in this movie, um, doing a dramatic turn, uh, a very dramatic turn for him. Uh, I love Little Miss Sunshine. I think it's it's so good. It's unforgettable. It's one of the best of the 2000s. So check it out now on Prime Video. Something dark for you on Prime Video, 1993's The Joy Luck Club, which explores the kind of very complex relationship between immigrants and their children uh, to America. And this is especially about Chinese immigrants. And you got, so you got women. It's about mothers and daughters, especially. This is a great mother-daughter kind of movie and not in a heartwarming Hallmark kind of way. It's very grim and, and it and it kind of gets at generational divides and why can't we talk to each other? Why can't mothers talk to their daughters? Um, and it turns out there's a lot of there are a lot of reasons at play there and nobody's really at fault. They're not really bad guys in this movie. It's just they're just different generations, different people. So the Joy Lot Club is 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 fascinating. A lot going on in the screenplay of this movie. And uh, to me, it's an underrated 90s drama. It deserves more credit than it gets. So check it out now on Prime Video as well. I should mention that both of those, Little Miss Sunshine and The Joy Luck Club, are not only on Prime Video, they're on IMDb TV, which is the free Prime Video thing, because Amazon owns IMDb, if you didn't know. But IMDb TV has movies streaming for free just with ad breaks. So they're uncut, uncensored. It's like Tubi. Um, and you can watch them for free. So both of those actually are available for free. You don't have to have a Prime account to watch Little Miss Sunshine or The Joy Luck Club. You just have to sit through a few ads if you search them out on the Prime Video app or the IMDb TV app, either one, whichever one you want to go. You'll find them both there. All right, let's go to Hulu. How about something dark or something light there for you from 1988? It's one of Andy's favorites, Bull Durham. And this is one that I watched for the first time actually with him. Uh, years ago, back when we were in college together, and I was uh, kind of blown away with how romantic it was. It's a very, it's funny, and it's got a lot of attitude in it, but it's also very romantic, and baseball sports movies don't get that way. And I'm not talking about, like, romantic and, oh, the love of the game and all that shit. Like, it's legitimately got a good romance story um, at the heart of it, and Kevin Costner, I mean, he's just a natural natural leading man right so natural and this is a great part for him uh as kind of the aging um you know minor league baseball veteran with all the sage wisdom to give out uh it's a it's a really cool the world weary guy cool movie bull durham now streaming on hulu give it a watch it'll make you Dream of the summertime something dark on hulu this is by no means a a good movie. I mean, it is objectively probably a bad movie, but I'm going to give you 1996's Thinner, 
which is a Stephen King adaptation. And this is one of the like Stephen King adaptations you probably missed. But anyway, Thinner was a book that he wrote under the Richard Bachman pseudonym. And it's got a cool premise. And I like this movie because it's a lot like an episode of Tales from the Crypt. So if you like Tales from the Crypt and you like that kind of campy body horror storytelling, I think you'll like Thinner because it's not really that serious. It's kind of funny and and just weird. And the whole premise is strange. It's this lawyer who's just this very ugly person on the inside and he's extremely obese as well gets a curse put on him by this like kind of I don't know what she is like a gypsy woman to use a a very offensive term and dated term at this point um, that ends up making him lose weight the more he eats the more weight he loses until he's wasting away to essentially nothing and no one can figure out what's happening to this guy so it's a night he's living in a nightmare and it's uh it's it's got joe montagna in the cast he's not the star but he's in it uh but check out thinner it's kind of a funny one to watch with uh friends and like i said if you like that kind of campy body gross out horror that you would see on tales from the crypt i think you'll dig thinner because it's basically a movie version of tales from the crypt and uh let's go to hbo max now something streaming that's light for you on there is 1990s Days of Thunder. It has its moments of darkness, but I'm going to call it a light one. Tony Scott at his absolute best. Cruz just cruising along, man. And Nicole Kidman seeing the two of them together. It's electric again. And, um, man, Nicole Kidman was just smoking in this movie, too. She's so young. And Cruz is, too. I mean, really, you see them and you're just like, God, this would be a couple that I would just, like, they're just just screaming sex off the screen. And, of course, you know, obviously they did. So it, it they felt the same way. Um, but Days of Thunder is just a cool movie from the time it opens with that Spencer Davis group tune with the cars revved up and um, to the ending. And there's a lot of emotions thrown in. And if you're a Talladega Nights fan, you'll see where every joke from that movie comes from. It's pretty much all lifted straight out of Days of Thunder. So there's another reason to watch it now on HBO Max. It's a cool movie. Hasn't, hasn't aged a bit in my uh, – it's aged like a fine wine. In my mind. And something dark for you. 2007's No Country for Old Men. Streaming now on HBO Max. Really honestly does not get a whole lot darker than this. Period. One of the great villain turns ever. Done by Javier Bardem. And uh, I don't think that Josh Brolin gets the credit he deserves for his work in this movie. Also, Kelly McDonald is great in it. Um, And it's just a movie that grips you right from the start. Tommy Lee Jones is very good. It's... uh, a Coen Brothers classic, man, and it's got a really memorable ending and uh, just a, a it's just a well done one of those best picture winners that it's hard to begrudge. Even though it did beat it beat Wally, and it beat uh, There Will Be Blood, which you know that can be debated forever. But I think No Country for Old Men is a very satisfying best picture winner. If you're trying to cross another one of those off your list, check it out now on HBO Max. One, I'm going to give you a bonus movie, actually, from HBO Max, too. I'm going to give you the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom, which came out in 2013. Won the Oscar, I believe, for Best Documentary. And it's about backup singers, especially Darlene Love, but it's about backup singers uh, throughout history and how they were always 20 feet from stardom, even though they, they themselves were some of the greatest singers of all time. Uh, and how their their fame kind of was stolen from them in some cases by a cruel music business. It's a really fascinating movie. It makes you root for these women 
big time. Um, and it makes you seek out their solo work as well because their stories are really inspirational. So 20 Feet from Stardom also streaming now on HBO Max. Essential music doc, I think, from the last decade. All right, I hope you had fun because I had fun. We're closing out another year here on the Stream Police Podcast, and I appreciate you hanging out with us as always, my friend. I am Clint Davis. You can uh, reach me anytime. You can you, you can hit me up slide into my dms on instagram i'm at mr clint davis follow me there follow me on tiktok as well same thing mr clint davis uh write me an email theclintdavis at gmail.com if you're old-fashioned like that uh and you can hit up andy as well he is on instagram at andy sedlak and you can write him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com s-e-d-l-a-k journal at gmail Uh, until next time my friend enjoy the season uh, try not to get yourself too bummed out about all the crap that hits you at this time of year. Weight loss and crappy weather, dark nights that never seem to end. Um, just remember that it's it's all temporary, okay? And we'll come out of it. It'll be springtime before you know it. And hopefully everybody gets boosted. Everybody, we can get past this thing and we can get back in theaters and we can get back to doing all the things that we enjoy without worrying about much at all and without having to wear uncomfortable masks all the time. Maybe we can get to that point, but it pretty much is going to take all of us, so it's a, it's a big ask. But anyway, thank you for hanging out with us here on the Stream Police. This is therapeutic for Andy and I, and we appreciate uh, you taking the ride with us. If it's your first time listening, please pass the word along, and uh, please rate and review us uh, wherever it is that you get your podcast, because that does go a long way, especially on the Apple Podcast Store, because that is kind of the be-all, end-all as far as where people get the ratings. But thank you very much. Talk to you on the other side, my friend. Uh, until then, stream on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.